Oh, Miles, I'm so thankful for this week. Just, you know, you told me that we were going to do J.J. Abrams' Cloverfield Project, and I knew from the old trailers back in the day that this was just going to be a secret Voltron movie. It was finally going to be the Voltron movie. There were the you pause the trailer, you hear the lion roar. Oh, it's bigger than you think. It's, it's uh, cannot wait to sit down and talk about this. You know, I love Voltron. I am ready. Let's. T- what is that? everybody and welcome to the more you nerd it is monster march and i am joined by my monster friend miles good morning good evening and good night everybody sorry i just watched the truman show <laughs> yeah it's 6 42 a.m or p.m uh in some day and we are here to talk about cloverfield the first of our monster march submissions for this week and i gotta tell you guys uh cloverfield is an interesting case it is a movie that miles loves has talked about for a very very long time he and our our buddy mike have gotten into many many rabbit holes and i've been drawn into those despite having never seen the movie until this week so let's i would Super, super excited to do this with you because, I mean, one, it's going to be super fun to go into some monster movies that that you haven't seen. I think one, maybe I haven't seen at least in a very, very long time. And it's I think it's always fun to get outside of the the normal Godzilla conversation. I love Godzilla. There's a Godzilla poster right behind me. I am right next to a giant Godzilla pop. But I I love my other monsters and Cloverfield. Specifically, I think is a phenomenal case in that, and I, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit more. Is I think this is the closest that American cinema has ever gotten to 1954's Gojira. That is an interesting take, and I can see at least some of that. Now, we'll get into to a little bit of backstory about Cloverfield and talk about this. Uh, and, and we may as well do that now. Cause I have some reactions to this movie that I think are, I mean, I don't know whether they're worth talking about because this movie is from 2008 and has been discussed to death everywhere else. But, but, that, but that's the thing is, is this is Cloverfield is one of those things because Abrams say what you will about him. He knows how to spin a yarn and especially spin a yarn in a maze. And in this particular instance, he has done, he's crafted, he, he and uh, Matt Reeves and Drew Goddard crafted something that people still theorize and talk about excitedly to this day. And I'm, I'm very, very excited to, to, to hop in. Well, let's get to it. So Cloverfield began its journey as an idea that popped into J.J. Abrams' head while he was in Japan promoting Mission Impossible 3, which he directed. Now, that's the interesting thing about this. J.J. Abrams has been known to this point, and we're talking in, in 2006-ish, 2007-ish when, when this conversation is happening. He's done Lost at this point, or at least has started Lost. He's done Felicity. He's done uh, uh, what Alias. Was Alias. But he's not known for movies. In fact, Mission Impossible 3, as far as I could tell, is the first movie that he actually directed or got the cr- director credit on. 
It was. And I remember there being a lot of hype behind that because, I mean, it was this kind of the same way that people felt, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention that person's name uh, when they did Avengers, you know, someone who was known for doing movie or television and doing television shows that people really enjoyed kind of stepping into the feature film realm. And and I remember very much liking Mission Impossible 3. It's I haven't seen it since theaters, but I remember being excited that J.J. Abrams was starting to do films. Yeah, we'll get into Mission Impossible 3 because I know it wasn't super successful, but it had to it wasn't going to take still, it, it, it well okay it was it wasn't, not going to take much to be better than mission impossible 2 which i had well, literally fell asleep in the theater for it may not have made as much money as some of the other mission possibles but those movies make a few money anyway so even though it's lower on the box office grosses for mission impossible 3 that's still a smash it still made half a billion dollars for sure for sure so this conversation that that abrams had with his crew was they saw all these Godzilla, we saw all these Godzilla toys and I thought we need our own American monster and not King Kong. I love King Kong. King Kong is adorable and Godzilla is a charming monster. We love Godzilla, but I wanted something that was just insane and intense. So Abram secured a deal with Paramount Pictures in February of 2007, which is funny considering some of the other movies he did around then, like 2009's Star Trek, uh, which forward. <laughs> yeah i did I, you know i i clearly pre-read all of our notes here uh abram secured a deal with paramount pictures uh, who secretly greenlit this pitch likely in the same set of meetings where he agreed to take over star trek as abram's first film in that franchise would release two years later in 2009 subsequent articles written after the existence of cloverfield had made public a bigger deal about the star trek deal yeah, I mean, because no one no one knew what chlorophyll was, so they knew it was kind of this kind of secret project, but no one really cared too, too much about the secret. Uh, not really until the marketing picked up, but the the big lead in all these stories was, but he has Star Trek. And it's important, and Drew touched on this a little bit, it's important to know exactly how hot Abrams was and how he likely got Paramount to agree to such... Honestly, a weird secretive deal for for some studios. This is pre uh, a lot of the the big, big viral marketing. You had the I Love Bees campaign in Halo and you had uh, Year Zero by Nanich Nails. Both were massive, massive viral marketing campaigns and movies were starting to catch on. You had Christopher Nolan start to do it with Dark Knight in 2008. So around the same time, I believe in Harvey Dent. Yeah. I do want to point out, because I know we're going to talk about this, that once again, I just want to clarify, I didn't know J.J. Abrams didn't direct this movie until we started talking about it last week. It's it's one of those things. It's like a a Tim Burton Nightmare for Christmas thing. People associate it with Abrams, even though it was Matt Reeves who was directing the Batman as we speak. But, But back to Abrams. Mission Impossible 3, while not the most successful entry in the series, it was still a smash hit. As I said, it made uh, almost half a billion dollars. Not only that, Abrams already had two critical and cultural darlings for television with Felicity and Alias, with his third lost in the middle of its run, becoming an absolute pop culture juggernaut. I cannot stress, if you weren't there, like how massive lost was lost was I huge mean, I, I didn't watch lost regularly until the fifth season but 
you saw had it was the the one of the last pinnacles of water cooler conversations about TV shows. It was it was water cooler, and it was also you know people would gather to watch. I mean, you had that in the first couple of seasons of the of The Walking Dead when that was the hottest show on television, which which then faded away. But Lost maintained at least that addictive cult following almost its entire run no matter what you think of the ending and and this is coming from someone who doesn't really well, care for lost and, and but i i, I want to have a, that conversation as we get to talking about the movie because i want to reintroduce the idea that jj abrams loves the mystery box but that's for later in the show yes um <laughs> so Abrams and his uh, production company, Bad Robot, had a lot of bargaining room, particularly since the writer and director selected for this project were both frequent collaborators of his. Matt Reeves, who I just mentioned, he co-created Felicity with Abrams. So he was slated to direct Drew Goddard, who had not only written on Alias prior, as well as Lost, but was a frequent writer on Buffy and Angel, which were also massive pop culture genre hits this is the tv and, people taking over movies at this point this is yeah which so which you, which is also funny because if you think about back in 2007 2008 when this came out tv and movies were still pretty siloed off from each other when it comes to yes you had tv actors and tv directors and movie actors and movie stars and movie directors and, and, and just that that's a little cloudier today in 2021 as we're recording this. Yeah, and I mean, the, yeah, the, the forbidden door was starting to crack open, and and this was definitely the team that kind of helped herald that in because all three of these creatives, who are all known to to great degree now, they were TV people, and so they basically got the keys to the kingdom to make Cloverfield. Filming for Cloverfield was split between New York and California. The principal photography was done in New York, and several scenes were actually shot in Coney Island, where some of the interior set pieces, like the Bloomingdale set, was filmed in a department store that was undergoing renovations in California. Everything about the film, including the casting process, was carried out in secret. Askers auditioning were given scripts from lost, alias, or unrelated projects, uh, unrelated scenes to Cloverfield, with Lizzie Kaplan, going, uh, who, who is one of the stars of the movie, going on to say that she didn't even care what the audition f- was for. She just wanted to work for J.J. Abrams because she was a, sh- a huge fan of his work and Lost in particular. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I love that. I mean, every time I, I, I read about the, the making of this movie, it just kind of makes me happy that this it was almost like everything just kind of clicked together because like. Yes, it's not too, too often that you when you have a secretive movie that you read from that particular script, but still for to not even use anything, we're just like, oh, we just want to see if you can pull something off like it's 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 pretty incredible. And and that level of secrecy, along with the high profile nature of its creator and the absence of information to the public really fed the the marketing campaign behind Cloverfield perfectly. Paramount employed an intricate viral campaign of fake websites, company dossiers, phone numbers with recorded messages that you could call to create this elaborate ARG, which is an alternative reality game that gave glimpses of the world within the film. And, and, and to the point where like every character had their own MySpace page because MySpace was a thing that 
existed back then. I, I actually I discovered this. Now, I didn't do a ton of research other than watching the movie because I knew that Miles would do all this research, but I wanted to see, you know, I w- actually I had a question about a particular character's fate because it was unclear to me. And I and I went and looked at them and then there's all of these MySpace pictures that were not in the movie. They were just a, a character profiles that were created for the sake of, of viral marketing before the term viral marketing really existed. You can tell nerds ran this film because the amount of world building that was done in things that really didn't matter to the movie is 100 percent. Yes. And I mean, it. The, the degree to which they did this, I mean, this is peak Abrams. And I, and I honestly, I feel this is why he was the way he was in the kind of foiled promotional tour for Star Trek Into, Into Darkness is because I think he got that Cloverfield high and felt that he could always tease things. And we're not here to talk about Star Trek Into Darkness. We're going to talk uh, about the J.J. Abrams mystery boxes, though. Because this is yes. something that he does. And I, again, we'll get through we'll get through our, our notes. We'll get through our background. We'll talk about the movie and then we will talk about that. Because if you look at all of these alternate reality games and or alternative reality games, ARGs, and all of the background that they did and they spent for all of these things and how nearly none of it is in the movie itself. The simple fact that this movie is called Cloverfield, that those words are not uttered in the movie at all other than the beginning, the very beginning in text on the screen and what that means and what that means. I don't know. I don't know that. But that's a conversation that we are going to have about J.J. Abrams as a <laughs> creator because he loves this stuff. And sometimes yeah, we, it pays we, off and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I, I'm I'm. <sighs> I will say with the quote film, I'm, I'm mostly satisfied, but we'll, we'll get into that. So the initial teaser for this film appeared before Transformers in 2007 without giving the name of the film. I don't know if you ever saw the, the original teaser, Drew. I mean, you probably did if you saw I'm Transformers sure I did, in 07. I, so, well, I, in fact, I know I did because the name of the project was not revealed. The everybody was pouring over this because we all knew J.J. Abrams lost. Oh, he, he loves this and da 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 Oh, what could he be possibly working on? And you're going to, and I, I teased some of this in the intro to this episode tonight, but why don't you go ahead and tell me? <laughs> all right. So public speculation raged, even on official sources, like your, your, your big websites, your variety, your Hollywood report, your screen rant, all these places were, kind of going back and forth on what this new J.J. Abrams production was, because the bad robot symbol is before the actual trailer or, or after the actual trailer. I can't remember which, even though there's no title. And, I mean, Drew was not kidding. There was a legitimate uh, train of thought that thought that J.J. Abrams was secretly making a Voltron movie Oh, you hear or a lion, even, you hear a lion roar in there. Oh, it's got to, it's Voltron. Like there, there are people that isolated that audio and. Oh yeah. And isolated uh, sound bits from people yelling in the trailers, trying to like, it looks like a light or there's a light. It's, or, I forget what the specific thing was that, that, that was said, but man. Um, the other, the other big train of thought was that it was a Cthulhu film, which is closer to the truth. Yes. Uh, a second teaser was attached to Beowulf in November of 2007. So they went almost six months 
without saying anything about this movie. Also, Beowulf was in 2007. Man, that movie yeah. is older than I remember. But uh, so th- the name itself has changed multiple times through the production. So it's entirely possible that they hadn't finalized the title when the first tre- t- uh, teaser trailer was out and just figured that would probably help. And because it, it started off as Cloverfield, but then bounced around to, well, from Grey Shot to Slush Show to there was a lot of, of different things. And speaking of, I mean, that was one of the marketing things. J.J. Abrams has a fictional uh, icy type drink called Slush Show that appears in almost everything he has ever done from Alias to Star Trek to Fringe. I mean, everything that he does, Slush Show appears. But this is the first time again, in the ARG, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, where it's an actual part of the story. But we'll we'll and, get and, into all of that of, nonsense. One of the characters does wear a slusho shirt in the movie. Yes. Uh, Rob's brother wears a slusho shirt. And I remember I wore my slusho shirt to the premiere of this movie. Like, like from one of the websites that if you went to certain places, activated a web store and you could buy a slusho T-shirt. <laughs> and I was just so deep into this. I was like, I'm buying this shirt. I, I love I that. Wanted, That's great. I w- wanted to see if I could find it before we were recording tonight. And I couldn't. Um, so Drew, tell us a little bit about the uh, release for Cloverfield. So Cloverfield released on January 18th, 2008. General reaction uh, was was positive, uh, garnering about a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. Entertainment Weekly called it a stylistically clever little gem. And the Austin Chronicle exclaimed that the film was the most intense and original creature feature I've seen in my adult movie going life. Pure blood grade A exhilarating monster movie. Audiences felt pretty similar and the film scored uh, earned about one hundred and seventy eight million dollars on a twenty five million dollar budget. Massively successful. Yes. (laughs) Making this monster movie a monster success. Ooh. Two spiritual successors have since been released in the form of 10 Cloverfield Lane and the Cloverfield Paradox, but no direct sequel has yet been released. And if you look at those two movies, they both seem to be movies that were written with different scripts that were then integrated loosely into the overall Cloverfield project concept. But anyway, uh, fortunately, in January of this year, it was announced that J.J. Abrams was producing a real sequel to Cloverfield with a script by Joe Barton, who is showrunning HBO's Batman TV show, which is the the Gotham PD police show that is tying in with Matt Reeves' The Batman movie. So, yeah, lots so there's of, a, there's a lot of creative lot, DNA lot, going around. Which I love. I love that. I mean, despite the fact that, you know, other hands have touched it and stuff, there's a lot of, like you said, creative DNA. Now, like you said, 10 Cloverfield Lane and the Par- uh, Cloverfield Paradox, uh, they are, they, I think he calls them more like blood cousins. It's, 10 Cloverfield Lane specifically is definitely more spiritual. However, the Cloverfield Paradox has a lot of threads that if you are inclined to dive into things as I was when it was released and wrote a 1500 word essay on the connections between Cloverfield and the Cloverfield paradox. Um, <laughs> it, that one has a lot more connections while, while I know that uh, it's been said that the Cloverfield paradox started off as a script called God particle. I, I tend to be not as cynical. 
I, I tend to feel that maybe there was a script that was sold and they liked a lot of it, but they're like, oh, well, we're, let's refashion this. We can use this and meld it into a uh, a loosely related Cloverfield movie. Which that stuff happens. I'm not, I, I don't mean to, to say like they just slap the name on it because I don't think that this particular. No, but a lot of people do. Would do that. Um, like it's not a Troll 2 situation where no, Troll 2 no. has nothing to do with Troll 1 outside of them putting the Troll name on it despite the fact that there are no goblins or clover monsters in Troll 2. Right. Um, <laughs> but anyway. both, both of those movies, uh, I, I mean, I think 10 Cloverfield Lane is 100% worth your time. I think you would like it. It used some similar marketing, uh, obviously not as strong. And then 10 uh, or the, uh, the Cloverfield Paradox, I like a lot of people are not as hot on. Was that on Netflix? Where was that? It was. It was a revealed on... Uh, the Super Bowl in 2000, I think, 18. And they revealed like, you know, on Netflix after the game. I think it was in 2019, actually. It was uh, more recent than I've... 2018. Oh, was it 2018? Okay, anyway. Yeah. So let's get into the movie itself because, I mean, this movie isn't very long. It's less than 90 minutes, which is very surprising to me when it comes to, to that. But I want to talk a little bit about how the movie is structured and the ways that I think that works and the ways that I think that it doesn't work. And uh, and also just just how this movie is set up. So this is in the the parlance of the time, a found footage movie. We are. Yes, we are revealed in the very opening moments that this footage was found in Cloverfield section, blah, 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 a.k.a. Ah. Central, formerly Central Park. So I love I I love that opening. I love just seeing uh, the area formerly known as Central Park. Cloverfield, I've always taken to be kind of just like a project code, like kind of Project Manhattan sort of deal. Um, I I don't think too hard into it. Uh, and nor, and, sh- nor should you, because what it sounds like to me is it sounds like they wanted to create a, a like a a blue harvest kind of control what our project is so that nobody knows what it is to the simple point that Cloverfield as a thing, those words never featured. Nobody ever names the monster. It's not like, Oh, this is a total Cloverfield situation. None of that happens in the movie at all because we're not dealing with anybody that knows anything in this movie. And that I really and truly enjoy in a God yes. in, a, in, in most Godzilla movies, you have the expert scientist that is got the 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 choice to defeat it. Or you've got the military leader who's like, we're going to go in there and we're going to attack it like this. So we're going to do this and we're going to take care of this. Or we have honestly, we have any source of the monster at all. And though there are hints of that in the movie, there are speculation based on the character HUD, which I just have to say Hudson HUD in a movie that is largely shot from a first person perspective in a camera in somebody's hand, calling that character HUD is a little on the nose for me in 2021. But in 2008, I might have appreciated it a little Pretty clever in 2008. 2008. I I, I appreciate that. Um, I I love that you said that because that is (laughs) one of my favorite things about the movie is that. We are dealing with people who are on literally on the ground of a monster movie. We are not dealing with and sometimes even under a, the ground. We're not dealing with a reporter or someone who has some connection to some alien or or anything. We are just dealing with the people that you see running and screaming in any other monster movie. And I think that is a very cool perspective. 
So yeah, and, and I'll be honest, I don't remember any characters' names in this movie. There's a Rob and a Beth. It's Rob, Beth, Lily, Lily Marlena, Marlena, Hud, and Matt. Hud, and what's the last one? Matt, the brother. Well, his name was Jason. I think it's Matt. It's Jason. No, it is Jason. Ha <laughs> ah! ha! Right. Oh, Miles loves this movie, and I just... I, but again, played, he's played by Mike Vogel. <laughs> that's that's why I got it mixed up. <laughs> so, but again, it also stands to reason that none of these characters' names and identities really matter because their their stake in this entire thing is extremely personal. They are not out to destroy the monster. They are not out to uncover the secret behind the monster. They are out to rescue Rob's paramour. From who who left the party after they had a fight, uh, so we've got yes. Ro- we got Rob who is this character, and I'm going to be honest, the movie opens up, and again it's it's all footage recorded on this one SD card that recorded these hour long of things. This is the biggest toll in the movie for me because one, how did that battery last that long, and two, how did they have that much storage space on a on an SD card in 2008? But uh oh, so so here here is my thing is. You could because I, I used to help uh, uh, my my former roommate film weddings. You could get about 90 minutes of footage, which is why you see some of this footage being deleted and some of it being skipped over off of uh, SD card from the time. They were expensive, but we're we're get led to believe Rob's apparently the VP of a Japanese company at no, this point. I, that That is that is honestly my my one takeaway is, oh, this dude's just rich so he's going exactly. to, to have the nicest possible things uh right and because that, that was my, that was my girlfriend's entire problem with this movie she's like how is the battery still running i'm like it has only been 80 minutes it's not that long guys well well it's 80 minutes of footage that we have seen it's like six hours of them doing the thing and you know when right, they're but and it's you only know 80 when, minutes of footage. It's only 80 minutes of footage, but they still have the camera on for a certain point because they needed to use the flashlight in the subway. Right. And that's what saying, burn down a, a, a guy anyway. that rich would have a top of the line camera that probably had at least a four to six hour battery. Yeah. I, again, for the sake of the movie, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't. It I also, it, I, I'm the same way. Like, even if it didn't, even if those didn't exist at the time, I don't care. I've got to I, I can do a sub, uh, have a suspension of disbelief about that because it's more fun to do it that way. So uh, Rob is going to be a VP of this Japanese company and it says going away party. And we are introduced at the very beginning of the movie to this. Uh, I didn't pay attention. I paid attention to the time. I didn't pay attention to the date, but it's a month earlier that we're opening up to to Rob and, and this girl, Beth, in in her dad's apartment as they have apparently had a romantic encounter. Uh, and we learn later on that these two have have been in love with each other for years, and that was the first time that they had ever done anything about it. And then Rob apparently just stopped ghosted. talking. Just ghosted. The problem, though, that I have is that that scene immediately cuts to Jason and his girlfriend, and I couldn't tell that they were different dudes. <laughs> First, even when they made the the big switch around of oh well, they're brothers, so it, brothers. it, it does help. It, <laughs> it yeah, does help. But it it took me getting to the party to understand that 
oh, wait, this is a completely different dude, not just some jerk that I'm not supposed to like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does take a little bit, but it's fun. It establishes. I like that this movie kind of takes its time at the beginning, because once it gets going, I mean, it's almost like a roller coaster. It's tick, 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 tick. And once that one thing happens, it's just. <sighs> yes. So here is my criticism for that, because this is shot. Very skillfully, by the way, on what looks like what feels like they're actually shooting it on a handy cam. Obviously, they're probably shooting it on a very nice steady cam or something, or maybe not a steady cam based on the way that they do these things. But. It wasn't a a steady cam. It was um I think it was a, a it was a Panasonic. I, I think it was a, a like a, a an actual oh yeah, it was a Panasonic HV two hundred for most of the interior scenes, and then the Cine Alta F23 high definition video camera for all of the exterior scenes. So what what I'm saying is it's de- it but it feels like a movie that was shot on a much smaller much cheaper camera based on the way that they were able to to make it make feel it to make it look and make it f- honestly feel cuz it looks good it looks like a movie in a lot of these scenes it doesn't look like what you would typically think of as a it's got a little bit of that effect in certain things but most of that is cinematography it looks like it's it's you know, when they're running, it feels like somebody's bouncing a camera around like they're running and they're dropping yes. it to their side as they're running. And that stuff is extremely skillful, especially when they're fighting the monster. But when they are spending 25 well, they're minutes not fighting the monster, well, when they're running from the monster, uh, well, they fight one of the monsters, but that's all. Well, yeah, yes. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. But where this doesn't work for me personally is when they're at the party and all the stuff at the beginning of the movie, it's just annoying. It's people, it's because it's normal people doing normal people things. And there's all of a sudden somebody would be having a conversation and all of a sudden there'd be like a jump cut to, of 10 seconds. And it's jarring and it bothers me. And it took Lizzie, it took Lizzie Kaplan coming on screen and HUD being obsessed with her and talking to her for more than five seconds at a time for me to finally lock into the movie itself. Yeah, I mean, that that one doesn't bother me so much, but I do agree that the cuts were not necessary. Um, the, one it, of the it, things it does, I, it does feel like somebody who doesn't know how to work that camera hitting record and off and record and off. And they also right. make a big deal of HUD not knowing how to use that camera at the beginning of the movie, which is funny because he spends the entire movie uh, uh, filming it later. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I really I really enjoy that we do take the time, like even though it doesn't matter, this could be any five people at all in the city uh, at a party. It could I mean, could, because like you said, they they. We were given a couple of of details about their personal lives, but really what I think what helps is because we see the party kind of it's naturalistic drama between people. It's I mean, yes, it gets kind of dramatic when Beth shows up there with a date, but all of it doesn't it doesn't feel CW. It feels like well, this is exactly what, what would happen is there would be some passive aggressive conversation. It they would veer off for a little bit and then gets there. It almost gets to CW. 
Almost. Yeah, almost, but no, but no, but but like then then there's the hey, can I talk to you for a second? And then it's it's we're gonna we're gonna go out to the party and and argue or whatever. Well, I, well, like, I, a lot of it feels I, very natural. I think the where that succeeds, honestly, is because a lot of that stuff because the camera is only in one location. If the camera is not in that location, we don't have a recording of those conversations. So a lot of this a lot of the CW-ish stuff just didn't get recorded. And I and I, I like the implication that it's there, but that we don't necessarily see it. I like it. Yeah. It, and it, I'm th- also not a big uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not anti CW, so it doesn't bother me anyway. <laughs> sure. Sure. So moving on uh, as they're at the party, Beth and and uh, Rob have had a bit of a tiff because after this romantic interlude, uh, Rob basically ghosted his his best friend that he's been pining over for since college da 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 and uh right. she's brought a date named travis who is played by uh jonah from uh uh superstore slash uh the lawyer yeah. from uh, uh that uh the computer show on hbo um Silicon, Silicon Valley? Valley, yes. He's uh he's the 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 Pied Piper lawyer. <laughs> oh, that, okay. I so it's so funny because when I I haven't watched this in a little while, especially since I've been watching Superstore. And so when he pops up, obviously in 2008, it, it would have been random extra guy. But seeing he him literally now, has he literally has two lines that you can actually hear. He but speaks, he delivers them exactly as Jonah. Yeah, it's, like it's, I think it's that's so just who he is. It's it's very funny now. Um, but yeah, I never had a problem with him. Uh, he he does exactly what he's supposed to do. He doesn't overshadow the scenes. But all of a sudden, the lights go out. There's and you hear a little bit of it. You hear something in the background. There's a little bit of a earthquakey shake. Oh, is that an earthquake? Oh, oh, it's, it's like an earthquake. Did you guys feel and, that earthquake? Oh, it was like an earthquake. And from here, but see, that's how parties that's are. That's how parties are, especially especially when you've been drinking. You hear people say, "Oh, did you hear that?" Yeah, that. My honestly, one of the realest there, there, there are two super real moments for me in this movie. One is uh, one of the first real super real moments is the lights come back on. They get on the they get the TV working and they they notice because this is a party of like 50 people in this apartment. Uh, their neighbors must hate them, uh, especially because every time they go into the hallway at that apartment, there's a baby crying, which I thought was very funny. Uh, but uh, the, the they get the TVs back on. It's like there's been some kind of explosion. Da, 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 da. And one some person's like, oh, it's like five blocks away. It's like right around the corner. Let's go up to the roof and see if we can see what's going on. Yeah, bro. Let's go to the roof. We're going to go to the roof. We're we're big, tough men that are going to go see what's going on. And they jump up to the roof. Uh, and of course, everybody goes with them. And then that's when the real explosions start. But that was a super real moment to me because I know people that would do. Oh, that it would 100 percent happen. I'm not um, scared. I- I'm going to see what's going on. But what I also like about the the next few minutes before I think the the roller coaster starts is when when things are happening, you're hearing some noise, even with the explosion. Everyone, everyone just assumes it's a terrorist attack and it's done in such a realistic fashion in how they're filming almost this entire movie, to be honest. You're 
it draws you in because you know obviously if you if you're you've seen the movie a few times but if you haven't seen it and especially if you don't know that's a monster movie you don't know what's supposed to happen well, that's why the what the, the marketing works so well is because when you first see it it could be a terrorist attack. I don't know what this movie is. Well, and this is something else we need to talk about. This movie came out. I mean, this movie is in production in 2006, 2007. It came out in January of 2008. That is very, very close to September 11th, 2001. Yes. And I, and there's a scene not long after this, where there's an explosion and these fireballs start crashing through the sky and everybody tries, tries to retreat back inside and then gets to the, to the ground because they realize they need to evacuate the building. That, they're all looking and they look to 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 the down the, the block and they see a building come down and there is this gigantic wall of dust and dirt and smoke and debris that mm-hmm. sort of envelops the, the road. And that that is 100 percent based off of on the ground footage from the Twin Towers coming down. Absolutely. And and this is where I, I get into. This is why, to me, Cloverfield is the the closest thing America has to 1954's Gojira, because this is it's not just responding to 9/11; it is it, responding to that heightened sense of uh, cultural anxiety. It's responding to the the digital age where the worst thing we we're terrified of is what we don't know. Well, and that, and that I want to highlight this miles just because I, I want you to, 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 to say your piece as someone who has experienced this movie multiple times. But when I look at this movie and I compare it to the original Godzilla, which was very much a reaction to nuclear bombs, atomic warfare, that sort of thing. I mean, right. This is really like, trying to, to figure out how to phrase this. It's the unknown. They spend it, most correct. of this time not knowing what's going on. And it is that it's that, that initial panic, that initial not knowing what's happening, but knowing that something is a, attacking your home, knowing that something is affecting you on a, on a cerebral level. And it's not just affecting you, but everyone around you in a huge panic in a way that a Godzilla movie can't, handle that kind of thing correct and and it does so and and this this was the anxiety of of the culture for a good crux of the aughts and it's hard to talk i mean it's it's weird to talk about now because i don't i mean obviously we're we're so we're 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 20 years this year separated from from the events in, in 2008 taking our shoes off before we got on a plane was still a new thing right and the other thing that was new was the full acceptance of the digital age. Drew, I know you and I had used the internet for a very long time, but people really didn't start fully adopting it. I would say until like oh four ish, oh five, as far as like it was part of your everyday life for the normal person. Yeah, it's it's tough for us to say because we were in college. At that time and in college, you kind of had to have some Internet right. usage. But, but, but uh, coming from that time. So you, you take that into consideration. And when 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 the, the main. I would say catalyst to the events that 
that go from them stepping outside happens. When you see the head of the Statue of Liberty start bouncing from building to building and then land on the streets, which is such a freaking. Here comes real moment number two of the movie that the Statue of Liberty head comes flying in. It's a cool moment. It's really neat. And you see it land right on the street right next to them. And everybody on that street pulls out. The, oh, there's they're not smartphones yet. They're still like flip phones and Nokia's and or, all or digital cameras. You know, little, or those, uh, what, little, what were they little called? A little cool uh, pics. Cool, yeah, uh, just when when people would carry an actual digital camera around instead of just their phone and they're all two feet away from the Statue of Liberty head, taking pictures of it and shooting video with it. And it's like that is prescient that is one of those things it's it's, it's honestly more prescient now just in the way like i said i just finished watching the truman show uh because krista had it on when i came home from work but i was like this show is this movie is more relevant now than it was when it came out but i have to say something about that because this movie put something into perspective because i I, there's oftentimes you know we're millennials we we yes. get we get accused of spending too much time on our phones. And if something if something crazy is happening, we're spending more time standing there filming it instead of running away from whatever scary is happening. But I have to say that when it comes to that, for the sake of this movie, this movie raises a very big, a big point of, well, yeah, of course, we're filming it. We're here. Someone has to film this. Someone has to document what's going on so that even if we yes. don't make it out, the the footage survives. That Which, is a that is a good. That's honestly. Yes. I mean, be safe. Don't stand in the middle of, a, of, of something terrible happening when you should be running. But by all means. Film something while you're running away from something terrifying happening. Absolutely. And and that's what I like. I mean, a lot of people ha- always have this criteria. I'm a big apologist for the found footage or POV uh, cinema. And a lot of people always have a criteria when they review it. Uh, if it answers like six questions. And one of the ones is always like, is there a reason that they're filming? Is there a reason that they keep filming? And this one honestly makes a very legitimate case because, yeah, HUD says someone needs to 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 let people know what happened and i mean we've seen the reason that the reason that they have the camera out to begin with is justified it's rob's going away party and exactly filming all of these people saying goodbye to him he's got the camera he's filming the party (laughs) for the sake of of, of something to give to rob the the like a wedding line is so many times like a wedding yeah i mean it's it's on it's 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 like a wedding but it's not a wedding but it's like a wedding Uh, again that that honestly makes perfect sense they justify so much of that side of things and the, the honestly, the only stuff they don't really justify is the stuff that you can kind of fudge because it's a giant monster. Yes. Uh, so. At, at As we continue uh, and there's there's some more shots uh, that they try to cross the, the Brooklyn Bridge, I think it's the Brooklyn Bridge. And. Uh, you kind of see it. Uh, I think what's the tail of of clover? It looks but, like uh, a tentacle at this point. And, and keep it, in mind, it does. We, it does by this point, it does the movie, look like a tentacle. By this point in the movie, we've seen very little of the monster. Uh, we've seen none. Well, we've seen we've seen a little leg or something as it walked by because because HUD got it on camera. Uh, uh, 
Lizzie Kaplan. Oh, that's right. He, no, yeah. You, you see, you see a shot. You see what amounts to almost a shadow of it. Uh, Marlena um, saw it, but she is shell shocked at this point and cannot explain what it is. And I look at her recording time and we're going to have to buzz through this because again, the movie picks up once they get out of the building and get away from the party. The movie kind of goes in a pretty, pretty strong clip for the entire time. We, we are seeing. Luckily, like they, they don't do this thing where they cut away to news footage. We just have like people taking footage of TVs showing news footage. It's a fun it's a fun way to cut that stuff in, I think. Yeah, uh, they do a they do a really good job. Uh Rob basically makes a beeline to an electronic store because his phone's dead for some reason. Uh, but I also remember, oh yeah, those phones uh, batteries were is, awful back then. <laughs> this is the fakest part of the movie for me. Because, yeah, uh, because she's trying to contact Beth. <laughs> but, well, not not just that, like they all these characters have cell phones, which I appreciate. The cell phones aren't working because obviously the city is exploding. So it makes sense yeah, that so cell phones. I, I believe the, I believe the I believe cell phone's not that. working. That's fine. But Rob's battery dies and he runs into an electronic store and takes a battery off the shelf and pops it in and his phone starts working. There's no way that battery had any charge in it sitting in a package. Come Listen, on. even in 2008, I was talking to my with my buddy uh, who also was a massive Cloverfield fan, and we both kind of just quietly agreed yeah that was dumb yeah <laughs> you know but but so 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 at this point you know beth and and rob had a fight at the party beth went away and apparently made it all the way back home in the time between when <laughs> the monster attacks that, the, that that is that is the other I, I have to suspend more belief for that than i do the giant 20 story monster yeah so <laughs> so basically so at this point we've got our cab i guess yeah we've got our core cast of characters we've got uh rob we've got his brother jason we've got hud we've got uh jason's girlfriend lily uh and uh we've got uh marlena who is who who knows beth is that who she knows or she knows lily i forget she knows lily yeah i think she knows lily and beth uh so the and they are now on their way trying to get out but as they're about to get out, they're crossing the Brooklyn Bridge. Rob gets a call and it's Beth and she's in trouble. And conveniently, they're, they can't turn around, but conveniently, the monster attacks the bridge, kills Jason in the process, R.I.P. Jason. Uh, and they run back and, they, and, and now Rob is dead set on trying to go find Beth. And that's most of the rest of the movie is them trying to get to Beth. There's the whole subway excursion there's oh we we have seen in news footage and the, the military is on site and they kind of that's another thing that bothers me the military kind of comes out of nowhere in some of these scenes like oh these they, scenes, they establish themselves pretty quickly well like, not just, but, but there are tanks and everything real fast there are tanks and everything real fast which i'm fine with because i feel like that's something that would happen but like these these four doofuses are running down the street and then all of a sudden there's an entire battalion of army dudes shooting rockets that they didn't hear behind them. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they got their mind on something else. Um, they do eventually big monster. Yeah. <laughs> to but, quote the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, but the monster as we see is dropping little tiny monsters off of it. And it's a whole thing. And when, and that becomes a thing when the little tiny monsters attack them in the subway and they bite Marlena who, Seems fine until she explodes, which is a whole other thing that is again, it's, a, it's a it's a, it's an alien thing. It's never explained why that happens. And it doesn't matter that it's not explained. Uh, but as we get as we get down to the end of things. We we're getting we, they're, they're getting evac on a chopper 
Uh, by this point, they have rescued Beth from uh, a, a, to- a slightly toppled building. It's a whole thing. Uh, Travis, no idea what happened to Travis. He's probably dead. Uh, but that's what he gets for uh, coming to dudes going away party uh, with dudes lady. Um, that's a joke, of course. But uh, but this is where things get kind of weird. So Lily gets on the first chopper, goes off. From what I can tell, she is the only, only survivor. known survivor. From from everything that I have read, Lily survives the incident. Same. I couldn't tell, and I had to double check because as her helicopter, it does look, it does look in certain shots that her chopper could have gone down, but that's it's it, that's not hers. Yeah. Uh, so Rob, Hud, and Beth get on the next chopper. They're on the way out, and I love when movies do this. It's the cheesiest, lamest thing, but I love when they do it. The bombers have come in, and they've bombed the monster. It's like, oh, are you seeing this? We got him. Yeah, we got him. And there's smoke everywhere coming up from the ground. And all of a sudden, a big claw. Oh, no, the monster's still up, and it crashes the helicopter. And somehow they survive that, too. And then uh, poor HUD gets eaten. Oh, poor HUD. Yeah, this this was Krista's uh, the biggest qualm with the movie. Not that HUD got eaten. It's because we the camera pops down to the ground at one point and we see HUD's like the rest of HUD. And she was so distracted by the fact that his shoes were so clean, (laughs) despite that we've seen people coated in dust and dirt and everything, how viscerally everyone looks when all this rubble and dust and ash has been going through the city. His shoes are pearly white and it's got baby. It took her out of the movie entirely. It was the (laughs) one thing she talked about afterwards is she was very upset that his shoes were so clean. And I, and I, I just said, I, I mean, I'll give it to you. Yeah, you're right. It's it's definitely a continuity error. It's just not one that bothers me. <laughs> yeah. So so we we are left in our final scene of the movie with Rob and Beth in a a little archway. And I, I think it's probably a specific named archway in Central Park in New York City. I don't know the Central Park well enough to tell you which one it is. Uh, but uh, they they are kind of basically saying their names and who they are and in case anybody finds it if they don't make it out because again the the army is about to level the city with bombs and a a chance to to destroy the monster and we just see the bombs hitting and we see explosions happening and and that's really it until and then of course the movie flashes back to a month ahead a month a month in the past with with rob and beth at Coney Island, and they're on the the Ferris wheel. And as they look out over the ocean, you see something weird hit the water. Hmm. Not even not even mentioned, and uh, and then the credits roll. And I have to say, there's one final moment in the credits, and I had to rewind it and, and make sure that I heard what it said. There is a slightly garbled part of 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 audio, seemingly from this, saying "Help us," potentially implying that one of the two uh, uh rob or beth are still alive at the end well so from the official thing yes a voice can be heard help us however when backmasked in reverse 
<laughs> it says it's still alive. Oh, come on. JJ, I, I, this this movie has layers upon layers. So let's get into some of it a little bit. Um, yeah. So so this because I want to I want to hear about all of these things. I want to hear about all the, well, the alternative so, reality things. I have to say, though, that the thing that JJ the, and one of the things that JJ Abrams has made his money on, made his fame is the idea of the mystery box. It's all of Lost is mystery boxes, mysteries that are set up to be cool and interesting and 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 weird but don't necessarily have answers because the answers are not necessarily always the most interesting thing and sometimes that works out for them like the first several seasons of lost and sometimes those things don't work out for them like the last season of lost and sometimes those things work out for them like cloverfield where you have all of this backstory that is hidden in all of these little things that you have to go looking for and some of it doesn't work like star trek into darkness where that's definitely not con yeah, see, and this is what I was talking about was he had this whole thing with like, you know, it's not con, it's not con, it's not con, even though we all knew it was con. But he thought he was being so cute. And it's largely because of how successful Cloverfield was at pulling off the mystery box. So I mean, let's, let's talk about these. Let's talk about these mysteries. Let's talk about the oh things boy, surrounding oh this, which I'm going to tell you, Miles, you have <laughs> well, less honestly, than 10 minutes of me being able to pay attention to this well no well first before before we we, we get into that uh i know we've broken down the movie but you've never seen it before what'd you think honestly i i wasn't in it at first but then i got in. i it. know I, I, I got i got the text yeah you got, <laughs> i was complaining about the it was it was seven minutes into the movie and we were sitting around a, a boring party with a bunch of people that i didn't like or identify with and no monster <laughs> And no backstory to any monster. I was like, please, come on, just give me a monster. And then the monster showed up and I was like, all right, cool. I'm done with this. There is some stuff that I think is a little fantastical, but it's still just grounded enough that I could see it working. Like when they have to cross the one built, like go up the one building to get to the roof of the falling down building. Like, I don't know that that's how that would work. But I'm okay I, I, I I agree, but it's so cool. <laughs> but it's cool. Like they find the they find Beth with the rebar coming through her, her shoulder, and they pull her off the rebar. And it's like that would be a lot more damage to her than they are letting no, her no. Uh, walk I, around I, with. I, I, but. <laughs> Crystal was screaming, "What are you doing?" Her sister's a registered nurse, um, so she, she that that's not a good idea. No, but you I was don't like, want to well, do that. But I'm like, well, they're also 39 stories up and big monster. Yeah, big monster. Uh, that, but and and also just the little the little ways that they like the one thing that gets that gets to me is that they seem to because this is all taking place on Manhattan and Manhattan is both a big place and a little place. It's a very big place if you're on the ground. It's a very little place if you're up in the sky looking at all of it. And that monster seems to kind of come and go as it sees fit, and it seems to destroy quite a bit. It doesn't seem to destroy everything. And it's like uptown, downtown, uptown, downtown. It's on one. It's on the east side. It's on the west side. It kind of goes wherever it wants, but it just kind of sticks to the island. And that is that is the one thing that it gives us a lot of fun moments of, oh, they can see it as it's, you know, walking down the street in this section. But then it's all the way over here when they get to that section. And I also guess that they're just humans on the ground, so they're not actually going that far. So Yeah, and it's a big monster with a large step. Um, and, and I know, uh, just gonna flat out say, we know what kind of person TJ Miller is now. Um, but for the, the sake of the actual movie, uh, this was, I think before anyone knew who he was, um, his, 
his character being both serious and the source of humor like he always has these little lines that are are really funny and and i'm talking specifically the ones that are not supposed to be funny like it's time to leave the electronic store like it's such a (laughs) weird thing to say out loud and it makes it so funny but there's something heartfelt in that performance when he does those things because he's trying to get through to his best friend rob and i it's it's those those lines work for me it's the lines when oh no, no i'm not i'm not criticizing the lines i think they're very funny the ones that that don't work for me is when it's clear that they're trying to invoke a little jocularity oh. into it when he's talking about yeah. what how, is that it's a terrible thing <laughs> how do we know it's not a an alien or it could be a science experiment that we don't know about uh, this is my T.J. Miller impression. However, one of my <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the movie, uh, because because uh, HUD is kind of about Marlena. <laughs> yeah, when HUD HUD has kind of got a thing for Mar Marlena, and uh, she says something about uh, he says something about how it's an, it could be an alien from another planet, and and she just says like Superman, and and, <laughs> and he goes, you know who Superman is, <laughs> and she goes, wait, you know who Superman is? Hold on. Do you know Garfield? <laughs> it's so funny. So it, it's funny. so good because it completely upends the the BS notion that girls don't know these nerdy pop culture characters. What, and it's the, just a the, small the, thing they the, do with it. The most famous superhero of all time that there's not a chance that she knows who that is. It's just yeah. ridiculous. It, it, it's it's great. And I actually do like the line when they rescue Beth and they you're, you're going across the building and you see the monster and she's like, what is and he just goes it's a terrible thing and then they're in the the hallway and you see the little spider monster and she goes what the f is that and he goes something else also terrible <laughs> like they're they're well delivered i i do think that hud is the right person to be documenting this because he's not he's not he's, he's doesn't have yucks the entire time but I do appreciate someone who filters things with maybe a it, the humor sounds like a defense mechanism less yeah, than I'm cracking that. wise. Yeah. And I really, really like that about this movie. And before we get into the viral stuff, I do want to say to, to go back to how some of the New York scenes scenes are shot. There's a visceral reality to how every, how shell shocked everyone is right before the insanity really starts. When you know, a building has fallen down. People are coated with ash. People are shell shocked. Yeah, you have some people taking photos. People are just like kind of tapping other people on the shoulder, like kind of yelling, "What's going on?" There is this. HUD has announced that he's got video of it, and people right. are demanding to see that video. There, there is, there is something that mirrors the cultural anxiety that has existed in this country since. Uh, September 11, 2001, that I think that this movie mines to to create a monster movie much in the same way that 1954's Gojira was mining the cultural anxiety about what happened in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Yes, I, 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 think I don't that I don't is, think it's a direct parallel, but I think that is what this this film attempts to be. I, I agree with that. And, and honestly, I think that is where this movie succeeds for me is that it definitely feels like panicked people doing dumb panicky things like trying to rescue dude's girlfriend not even girlfriend because he feels guilty about what happened because he said something stupid to her at the party and she went away and despite the fact that you they're they're risking their lives to go after 
this one person, which seems real stupid as a viewer of a movie. Like, why are they going to do that? But I guarantee you, you know, if if it was most of us were in that position, we would be stupid enough to do that. Oh, if it was your wife, if it, if for me, if it was my girlfriend, I yeah, I, yeah, I would be dumb enough yeah, to do that. One hundred percent, and we so, would likely die. <laughs> likely die. We would likely get bit and explode because apparently that's what happens. <laughs> um. So a lot of the the viral marketing material outside of making MySpace pages for the characters, really centered on the uh, Tagruato company. This is the Japanese company that Rob has gotten the job for because he has become vice president somehow and is leaving for Japan, I guess, in a week. I can't remember exactly what they say. It was was sometime in the near future. So a lot of websites were set up, a lot of fake websites for shell corporations that Tagarado owned, and also some websites that were critical of Tagarado, because before the events of the movie, in within the film's uh, kind of mythology, there was a massive, what they called an environmental terrorist attack at one of their uh, deep sea mining rigs that. And this particular rig was set off the coast of New York. Now, this company uh, made a cold beverage called Slusho. That is the, the drink I was mentioned in the, the intro. And they were using some weird byproduct by something they found at the bottom of the ocean that they had pri- uh, proprietary rights to. Now, in one of the news sites, that they made there's a two minute video of this oil station going to, or not this oil station but it looks kind of like an oil rig that stands up in the ocean there is footage of this place basically having a meltdown and collapsing and if you pause just at the right time you can see clover's tail flipping up so there's all these things that there's this line of disasters and that this company knows <laughs> and might be even the cause of it um the problem is there are there are there were two sets of of like kind of articles that one was oh they they woke something up because JJ Abrams in interviews always stressed that the clover that we see in Cloverfield is an infant that is a baby monster with a, even more little baby monsters on top of it yeah, so there was just this whole line of websites of different things to go to. And then, like, even when 10 Cloverfield Lane came out, you find out that John Goodman's character used to work for the Tagorado uh, Corporation. And through a series of websites, the same way that they had done with Cloverfield. So, I mean, it's just they set up this whole elaborate thing of a breadcrumb trail for people to follow and people to take notes on. There were usually hidden files in these uh, websites. Uh, a lot of times you had to, you know, look into the code of the website. You get a picture of something. I mean, they did a lot of detail and it's a rabbit hole to go down. And what's so funny is, is our, our <laughs> is former. That, what's so funny is that none of it really matters because they, they're, they, they, it doesn't really matter. It's just fun. It's fun. It, it, to it is figure. fun. Because, because again, and I, I mentioned this at the beginning when we talked about this, this movie succeeds because none of the people that we focus on know what's going on 
And right. unlike a Godzilla movie where, you know, oh, they've got to kill Biollante, so they're going to bring in the botanist who created Biollante, and they're going to create this whole thing to defeat it. That's a whole thing in that kind of movie. We don't have any of that here. We don't have a Tagorado Corporation rep talking about any of this stuff as it happens. No, like, absolutely not. Like, they don't spend any time on any story, any background, anything real as far as what actually happened in this movie, as far as the background of it. None of that happens. And they built all of this stuff, some of which I think could voice with each other, because if it was something that was a baby, then blah, 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 then why did it fall from the sky? Well, so there, like, like I said, there's, there is some conflicting. The, the conflicting thing and what the other movies tend to in, indicate is that it came from space. So some of, the, some of the stuff, but the thing was, all of these sources were unreliable narrators. You know, it was it was it was these I think, I think it was Tido Wave was the name of the environmental terrorist organization. That's what they said was happening. Huh. Doesn't mean that's what was happening. But I think what's cool about it is, like you said at the beginning, J.J. Abrams loves to make mystery boxes. And to me, the movie itself is kind of the mystery box. Here here is the thing. Now, here's all these things you can play with. It reminds me uh, before we wrap up. It reminds me of when the Blair Witch Project was released in 1999. The Sci-Fi Channel had this two-hour documentary before the movie came out <laughs> about the about the Blair Witch Project and about the Blair Witch. Yeah, it was about these these because they 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 did that marketing as if those kids were actually missing. So this whole documentary is about you know where these kids went and what the, the the legend was they were researching so that when you watch the Blair Witch Project you have all this stuff in your mind and the movie itself is way more effective and that to me is what an ARG is good for is it enriches your experience with the source material for sure and that's and that's the thing like mystery boxes are the most fun when you're figuring out the mystery but once the mystery is solved. The mystery box isn't fun anymore because you figured it out. And by I, I, by handling this the way that they have, this is probably J.J. Abrams' most successful mystery box because... A hundred percent. Because we'll never really know. And so far, the answers that we've gotten are just as interesting as anything else, which is untrue for a lot of the other mysteries that that we have well, in in Star we, Trek we, or we Star Wars or Cloverfield too. Maybe so. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. we'll see. I, I do wish there was a, maybe uh, some some sort of book they would release that just compiled all this stuff. There was there was a Japanese released manga for promotional material that had this whole cult aspect behind Clover. And guess what was never released in the United States and goes for two hundred dollars on eBay. Yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> the, what's funny? The what's, manga. So, so what's funny to me, Miles, and this will be the, I think the last thing that I want to say about this uh, is that. We talked about mystery boxes. We talked about, about about all of this. The simple fact that this monster is referred to as Clover. Do you want to know when I found out about that? It's a fan thing. Yeah, it was literally me talking to you and Mike two hours ago. Yeah, I mean, I just I knew it, the monster I, it, has an actual name. It is not named in the movie at all. It's just called. Ah. The monster, the simple fact that Cloverfield only occurs in the movie as as you know, as a as a government code name for what happened. That's the only thing we get, and that is as interesting as it is infuriating. <laughs> it, 
I mean, the the the, the monster is got the nickname uh, Clover mostly by fans. Yeah, which, uh, Clover it's fine. Field is it's the name of the exit that J.J. Abrams would take to go to his office. That, that it was it was Clover Space Field. That was the exit near the airport that he would go uh, to to his office, and that's where he came up with the title Cloverfield. Well, look, I'm glad to finally <laughs> see this movie. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Uh, because I'm really lot, excited that you liked well, it. Because a lot of times things like this are are built up because they have so much of a cultural cachet that I I worry that it's never going to match expectations you know what i mean right and this one for some reason my expectations were set just right that i'm like all right okay i'm into oh, this yeah i was i was this getting is... texts I, I i could see i could see the 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 rabbit hole starting to dig its claws into drew he's like wait a minute there's a connection to house of leaves and <laughs> I, I knew he was starting to read some of the the wiki and stuff and i was like i was like oh man you you've got you've got a joyous time ahead of you if you fall down this <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, that's 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 a, a conversation for another day. Uh, so maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do another challenge later on in 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 the time of of the Cloverfield uh, overview. Like we'll go through everything in, in much grander detail. But that is not going to be next week. Miles, what do oh, we no. have on tap for next week? So next week we leave the states. For South Korea, with 2006 The Host, directed by the Oscar-winning director Bong Joon-ho, who did uh, last year's Parasite. Oh, Parasite, that, that movie that won, uh, oh, like Best all Picture, the Oscars? Best Director. But I loved Parasite. Parasite is, is it's, a, it's phenomenal, a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. movie. I love it. Um, yeah, I have heard people talk about the host, not in the same way as is Cloverfield, because obviously it predates Cloverfield, but that it it, that it was a a unique and fresh take on a monster movie, uh, for that like a new at the time, like a yes, a new for, the, for the time movie. it was like Cloverfield. It did not feel like it was just a a Godzilla film. And honestly, the, yes, you will see a lot of parallels with the host. Both creators, J.J. Abrams and uh, director Bong, are are like, yeah, we can we can see how there's similarities, but we we both did very different things, and they do. Um, but there's a reason why I I put this next is there is some there's some shared DNA, even if it was you know, obviously not necessarily on purpose slush out um, is a big part of uh no i'm just <laughs> yes although although the host yes did come up first and i mean bong joon ho has has continued to to make phenomenal films not just parasite and i i have not seen this movie probably since it came out it's been about 15 years so i this will be like me going in fresh it's been a good long while drew have you ever seen this movie i have not seen it i own it because i bought a bong joon ho collection after i loved parasite so much but i have yet to watch anything else out of that collection either so <laughs> well luckily if you don't own it you can see it on hulu welly 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 well uh, and, and if you have Oh, I'm sorry. And I was going to say, and, and we may have a special guest joining us next week to talk about uh, to talk about the host. So that'll be fun. Uh, so, Miles, in the meantime, let's wrap it up today. Where can people find us if they want to reach out to us? People can email us at 
themoreyounerd at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at themoreyounerd, and you can talk to me on Twitter at themoreyounerd, and you can also go to our brand new web store, themoreyounerd.threadless.com. We will try to get that on our regular website uh, in the near future, and I will try to promote it more on our social medias. That is where you can find our two more you nerd shirts, as well as our forever night dedicated skanky squad shirt. So until next time, Drew, we are going to tell the good folks at home. Good night and end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd nerd out help us. (laughs) 